Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Then the first part of verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Not just let the redeemed of the Lord say so. (laughs) Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If the Lord has been good, if you have experienced his loving kindness, if you have tasted that he is good, let the redeemed of the Lord respond. Let them say so. Anybody, thank you very much. Aaron, thank you for your, look at me. Thank you for this coffee and the, and the goodwill behind it. Has anyone experienced anything good from the Lord? Can it, is anybody willing to say something about it? Gratitude is recognizing and acknowledging the good that I have received. Recognizing and acknowledging the good that I have received and the goodwill or the goodness behind it. It's simple, but it is powerful enough to have a positive and lasting impact on our lives. Last week we saw that gratitude is the gateway to joy, meaning that the practice, the habit of gratitude has a positive impact on our outlook and our attitude, our joy. Gratitude really can and does ratchet up our joy level. And it will keep it up and higher, but remember, there's a catch. Gratitude has to become chronic. It has to become a chronic problem. Anybody ready to start a new chronic problem? We have enough of them, we might as well replace one with some good ones. This week we're going to see, we're going to continue on this thought, we'll see that gratitude is the way to wellness. Gratitude is good manners. It is good theology. And it's really, really good for you. One study demonstrated that spending... Just five minutes a day practicing gratitude can increase your long-term well-being more than winning a million dollars in the lottery. Two and a half times more than winning a million dollars in the lottery. This wasn't just some preacher's anecdotal Side shot. Well, I, f- I reckon gratitude better than the lottery. Nope, <laughs> nope. They 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 observed it. They demonstrated it. Because how many how many I know several of you in the room probably are saying, you know what? I'd like to take a shot at testing that. <laughs> no doubt, a million dollars would be great. I'd love an extra million dollars to finish some projects in this facility and then to build some more churches around the world. Might as well have that too. You know, there's nothing wrong with gratitude and a million dollars. But the problem is something that they call hedonic adaption. That is, we quickly get used to a new thing. 
we, we have something new or we have something more and we, we quickly stop having as much fun and happiness as we did at first. We adapt to happiness-inducing novelties in our life. We adapt to them. We get used to it. So that before too long, the new clothes, the new car, the new house, the new spouse, they don't feel so new and exciting anymore. The shine wears off. And then we end up as bad or worse than before. We're sadder. We're deeper in debt. Life is as heavy or as heavier than it was before. This is often what happens to lottery winners. It's also what happens when we forfeit the power of gratitude. How does gratitude do what the lottery cannot? Gratitude magnifies and internalizes the good in our life. Gratitude increases the value to us and the effect upon us of the good that we have received. It magnifies and internalizes goodness. What we had, the good that we have encountered, it magnifies it in our life. It squeezes it. It, it enlarges it. I want you to consider an example from Scripture on how one person's gratitude helped him find the way to wellness. There's either angels singing or someone needs to answer their phone. I prefer the first one. Aaron, if you were quick, you would have leaned over and said, an angel already sang this morning, sweetie. Never mind, I've got you, I've got you covered. I've got you covered. <laughs> it's in Luke chapter 17 and begins at verse 11. Luke writes, while he, and he's talking about Jesus, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as, and as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, if we were the original audience, at that point, we're supposed to go, oh, a Samaritan? Why, they don't know any better. And he was a Samaritan. Let me just give you, every once in a while I like to give you a little hints here. When you read the Gospel of Luke, Luke is going to take time to make sure that his audience knows that Jesus includes the excluded. So you're going to hear Jesus, uh, Luke write about uh, lepers, 
Samaritans, shepherds, women. He's going to make sure that his audience knows just how powerful the gospel is. And they were Samaritans. Lepers and Samaritans. And he was a Samaritan. Uh, Verse 17. Thank you, by the way, intern. You're doing a very good job. Uh, Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for the truth and power of your word. Again, Lord, by your spirit, let it get into our lives, into our hearts today. This story is so great, and people use it a lot during the Thanksgiving season, and and they usually use it the way I wish they wouldn't. Remember last week we said gratitude is not guilt and it is not debt. Gratitude is not a club that you get hit over the head with to say, you know, you ought to be more thankful. Uh, That's guilt, that's debt, that's not gratitude. Okay, Gratitude is a joyful response to good that we have received, and we see it and we respond to it. And this story does something powerful. Uh, it, it teaches us about gratitude, but then it gives us something special, some sort of a thing that I want us to grab today. So it's important that we realize what happened in the story if we're going to realize or grasp just how significant what happened next was. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing, uh, he's passing by Samaria, Samaria and Galilee. A lot of good preaching will we'll pause and recognize that he is on the border. He's, he's, he is visiting people who belong nowhere. There's a lot of poetry there. There's on the border. They, they're, they're, they're citizens of nowhere. And as he comes to this village that, was, that is on the border of nowhere, ten leprous men are there. And they cry out to him. Lepers were outcasts because of their disease. They were feared. Their disease was, well, let's just be honest, it was gross. Their disease was horribly gross and highly contagious. So they were ostracized. And because of the the socio-religious norms, they were also, uh, it's not, it's not, not that they don't have codification for this. It wasn't that Moses said these people were sinners. But because their skin was unclean, they were unclean. They could not be touched. They could not have, be contact. And then on top of it all, so they were, they were disfigured and they smelled and they were sick and then they were contagious. And then because of that, they were unclean and not to be touched. And then on top of it all, there was a social stigmatism against them. And so they stood at a distance from Jesus. Marked by stigma and by shame, they stood at a distance. It's worth pausing just for a moment, isn't it? Marked by stigmatism and by shame, they stood at a distance from Jesus. I wonder if there's anybody here who knows anybody here that can identify with that. You know, you, 
you may not even look much like a leper on the outside, but on the inside you may feel the stigmatism and the shame of your life as maybe you feel like you need to or should or have been told to stand at a distance. A number of years ago, I was speaking along these lines about leprosy, and I don't know when it was. I feel like it was right during the middle of church, but it might have been at the end. One, there was a gal that essentially stood up and just yelled, I'm a leper. And she was beside herself in her own pain. So I did the only, what, what the only thing that someone should do in that scenario. I sent her to my dad. If there are things that should be captured on a video, you should have seen that moment. You know, I didn't send her to my dad because I was afraid of her. I knew, I knew where I'd go if I was hurting. So I said, go talk to that guy. And I watched him lean into her and tell her. I mean, he literally was Obi-Wan Kenobi. He, he said, you're not this. You're not that pain. This is not who you are. This is who you are. And she nodded, and her life, I'm telling you, her life was never the same from that day forward. Because she experienced something like what these men did. Mercy. She experienced mercy. Somebody say mercy. These men cried out for mercy. And Jesus responded without hesitation. Have mercy on us, they said, and Jesus responds without any hesitation. The word mercy is the Greek carryover of the Old Testament word chesed. That word chesed in the Old Testament is where you will find, uh, when you go particularly through the Psalms and you hear the psalmist celebrate, uh, uh, the, 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 give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his loving kindness endures forever. Many of your Bibles will say things like loving kindness or mercy, or they'll, just, they'll try to throw any number of English words at that word because there is no sufficient English word for chesed. It is the merciful, loyal, loving kindness of God. And when you speak of chesed, you speak uniquely of the heart of God toward his covenant people. And so when these ten lepers lifted their voice and said, Mercy, they were speaking the heart language of Jesus. They cried out for mercy. They, They set aside all of the cultural norms. They set aside any pride that they had left and asked for mercy. There's something about knowing that you need mercy. You can't keep up pretense. You, you don't get to protect your ego. Has anybody in the room ever needed mercy? It's hard to carry your ego with you. When we are willing to be honest with Jesus, that is when we will seek his mercy. They cried out for mercy and Jesus responded. They didn't, they said, Lord, have mercy on us. They didn't have to indicate what or why they needed mercy. They didn't have to explain or justify their need 
for mercy. There is no application process for mercy. God doesn't give mercy to us because we deserve it. He gives us mercy because we need it. Luke assumes his readers know that the lepers hoped that Jesus, the one they'd heard such powerful and compassionate stories about, this same Jesus could deliver them from their sad condition. Make no mistake, they, their, their mercy was a, was a request for an absolute, supernatural, miraculous intervention in their life. They weren't asking for just a hand or a help or a hug. They needed God. They hoped that Jesus could do something. You know what? He could. And he did. And he can today. It's 9 o'clock. You guys are going to always preach this thing for me, aren't you? (laughs) 11 o'clock, slightly more subdued. (laughs) So Jesus tells them to go and to show themselves to the priests. This This was according to the requirements of the law of Moses, and it was what someone did. Under that under that time, the law was that, that if, you were, if you were going to be uh, cleansed or, or demonstratively cleansed, you had to go and show yourselves to the priest, and they would inspect you, and they would essentially give you the A-OK, the approval. Now, here's what's neat about this, and you, you just got to read a little bit more and, and really lean into it to see just how much happened here. So these people, these 10 lepers, were living on the edge of nowhere in an isolated situation. They had, they had, for as long as they had been sick, they would have been isolated from their friends, from their families, from their, from their extended Hebrew community, from their jobs, from their family inheritances. They would have lost everything, not just the skin that was rotting off of their body. They would have lost everything. But then they saw Jesus, and they, and they didn't negotiate with him. They didn't bargain. They, they, they didn't try to tell him their life story. They just said, mercy. And, 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 and it, sometimes you and I might wonder, why didn't he stop and talk to him and give him a hug and give him a bunch of counsel? He said, go show yourself to the priest. You know what happened when they did that? The Bible says that as they were going, their leprosy was cleansed. Someone say, as they were going. As they were going, the leprosy was cleansed. And, and, and here's what the, the Luke doesn't tell you, but that we know happened. They go to the priest. The priest gives them a once-over. He says, it's gone. You're clean. And then they turn around, and they go home again. They go back to their families that they haven't seen. They go back to their kids. They go back to their parents. They go back to their, they go back to their extended community. And there, there's, can you see the, the, the power of mercy just keeps echoing because somewhere there's a widow who has lost a husband and she's living by herself trying to do the best that she can to raise her family and keep the family business together. And she's crying out to God saying, isn't there anything that can be done? We've lost everything. And then she looks up one day and he's coming back and there's not a drop of leprosy on him. 
him. He's fully restored and he's back to his family. The power of mercy just keeps blowing up in these people's lives. You've got to understand how powerful what just happened. Go show yourself to the priest. His, his, his power and his promise to heal goes so much more thorough. That's why we celebrate. It's not just enough to keep them from dying on the street. We want them to have a home and a future and to change what it means to be a young woman. There's nothing surface level about the mercy of God. You need to enlarge your expectometer, friends. Believe God for his mercy. Go back to verse 14. And as they were going, they were cleansed. As they went. Somebody just say, as they went. As they went. As they went. As they did what Jesus said, they were cleansed from their leprosy. Oh, they didn't. Remember, they weren't earning anything, but they were obeying everything. As they were going, they were healed from this horrible disease. This shows us that in this case, they trusted and obeyed Jesus before they saw or felt any differently. They trusted him and did what he said to do. And as they went, they were cleansed, never the same. The curse of that horrific disease was gone. Mercy flooded their lives, washing death from their bodies as they were going. Obedience goes a long way. I have found that while many would seek divine intervention, not as many are too enthusiastic about obedience. But Jesus expects all of us to trust and obey him. When we do, we discover the goodness of his lordship for ourselves. These ten lepers, their lives were powerfully changed. They all received mercy. They all were cleansed. They all were touched by God's power. But the passage tells us next that one of them experienced something even greater. Here's how. Look back at verse 15. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Once again, people need to simmer down. I don't want to go to the, one of those churches that are too happy. You might want to be going to a church that doesn't know Jesus. Because anybody that knows Jesus has got something to shout about. <laughs> Glorifying God with, with a loud voice. Not that there's not times for quiet. Simmer down. You know what I mean. Glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his feet, pardon me, on his face at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. I want, in my notes, I have this reprinted in bold, remembering what we're talking about today. When he saw that he had been healed, what did he do? He recognized something good had happened to him. He turned back and gave thanks. 
he recognized and acknowledged. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, thank you. And Jesus answered and said, you're getting a bonus, intern. Yeah. Then Jesus answered and said, were not ten clans, but the nine. Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back and then acknowledged the good that he received. But then Jesus says, were not all ten cleansed? All ten of them won the lottery. Only one came back to give thanks. Nine I'll just argue this. Nine of them succumbed to hedonic adaption. The leprosy is gone, but now, you know, there's bills to pay and the internet is too slow. My phone is not new. Now I've got to buy new clothes. Has anybody found that the, the, the list of things to be to complain about, if you, if you listen to that list, it'll line up around the block? We never hear from them again. Was no one found to return and give glory to God, to give thanks except for this one? Jesus takes returning thanks seriously. He's taken back by it. Now, now, he never asked them to give thanks. He never made it a requirement in order to receive. He didn't hold, hold on. To, you know how you do as a parent, you know, say thank you. You know, he didn't hold out his mercy and say, ah, ah, say thank you. No, he just gave it away. He didn't manipulate anybody. He was merciful. But he certainly is moved by the one who chooses to be grateful. So he says to this guy who's on on his face at the feet of Jesus, all he's doing is saying, thank you. Thank you. I want you to hear that. This man is saying, thank you. And Jesus says, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. The formerly leprous Samaritan returns and robustly gives thanks. We can learn from that, right? He didn't just, he didn't, you know how, anyway, he didn't, he didn't do the $2 tip, you know. It wasn't like, yeah, thanks, high five, you know, didn't thumbs up Jesus. Thanks, he robustly gave thanks. And when he, and Jesus sees that and he calls it faith. Gratitude to Jesus looks the same as faith. He responds to gratitude like he does to faith. That means that it pleases him and it benefits us. Jesus responds back to the man's gratitude with what seems to be even more grace. Jesus says, your faith This expression of gratitude has made you well. I know that perhaps in our English Bibles that comes and goes, like, that's fine. All ten of these men were described as being cleansed. Everybody say cleansed. 
that's probably Therapeuo or something like that uh, in the, no, seriously, it's probably something like that. I didn't look it up, but it's, it's, it just, it literally means like, you know, they, it was a, a, a socio-religious term. The, the leprosy was gone. They were cleansed. The leprosy was removed from their body. They were cleansed. But this man, Jesus says, has been made well. This word well is the, the root of that. The idea is that's the word we have. That's our word sozo. This means a complete restoration, a total saving wholeness. All ten were cleansed, but the one that came back and said, thank you, Jesus says, that, 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 for that, you've been made well. Not just physically healed, but something more. Jesus says something about this man that was not said about the others. Even though they all experience the goodness of God, even though they all freely receive mercy, only one returns and gives thanks, and because of that, this man was made well. What could be more than healed? Perhaps something more than his skin was changed. Maybe something in his soul, in his inner person. We know that because of gratitude, it was more. For the leper, something of the grace of God was magnified in his life because of gratitude. Something of the grace of God was magnified in his life because of gratitude. Now, I'm not saying I'm not saying that there is some secret formula. I think there is. I'm not saying that there's a secret formula. I'm not saying that gratitude gives us brownie points with God. I think it does. <laughs> I'm just re- I don't want to go on record, but I think so. I uh, I'm just recognizing that there is some connection between the gratitude that I express and the grace that I experience. There is a relationship between the gratitude I express and the wholeness that I get to enjoy. So many experience grace, but few magnify the impact and effect of grace through gratitude. This is what the Samaritan former leper did. He gave thanks. He opened his inner life to more grace. And he was more than cleansed. He was made well. Today, the angels keep singing to us, and I'm so grateful for them. Today, what effect might gratitude have in your life? What if you opened your life to more grace? What if you were more than cleansed? What if you were made well? What if you gave thanks?
First, maybe you need mercy. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close today. I know that as soon as I say stand, you meet, you start thinking about lunch. And I understand that. I thought about it before you did. <laughs> but I don't want you to leave today without being honest with Jesus about your need for mercy. I want you to be honest with Jesus. Do you need his mercy today? If you've never made, if you've never opened your heart, never surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Savior, never asked him to be your Lord, you need his mercy today. You've just got to be honest enough to say, Lord, I need mercy. It's not a negotiation. It's not a trade. It's a surrender. Perhaps you've brought with you a life circumstance. On the outside, you might look swimming, just peachy. But on the inside, you know you're, you need, today, you need the mercy of Jesus. Would you just bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer, please? Is there anybody here that would just be honest with Jesus and say, I need mercy? Today, I am a candidate. I need God's mercy to invade my life today. Would you lift your hand right where you are? Just tell him, I need mercy today. Come on, lift your hand. Let me see it. Let him see it. Just lift your hand. I need the mercy of God. Would you lift your hand? Just hold it up high for a moment, please. There's no shame in this. Just hold it up high. Just hold it up so we can see it. Somebody can see it around you. Now, here's what we do at Heritage. Sometimes we ask people to come forward to, to pray. But oftentimes, we'll just do it this way. If you'll just hold your hand up in the air, there are people that call this their home that will, that will lovingly and respectfully just want to pray with you. So if you'll just hold your hand up in the air, if this is your house, your heritage folk, you see someone with their hand in the air, I don't want you to engage them in conversation. All they need is the word mercy. They don't, they don't need an application process today. Would you just find somebody with their hand in the air and just gently place a hand on their shoulder? on their arm, and just, just begin to say, Lord, mercy today. Give them mercy today. We ask you for mercy. Just across this room, begin to pray. Lord, be merciful. Lord, come with your mercy today. Come with your mercy. Lord, invade our lives with your loving kindness, with healing, with hope, with help. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes. Yeah. The mercy of God comes. 